Never catch anything with this. It's useless. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 91 and 92, which begin with Helen using her outside voice and end with Enola stuffing her face. Here at the top of today's clip, Helen insists that she will scream so loud that it, and she's cut off as the Mariner approaches her. What do you think... She was going to end that sentence with. Let's see. I'm going to scream so loud that it will keep you awake. (laughs) It will drive you insane. It will mask the sound of the smokers. It will wake the dead. It will wake the sea monsters that I don't know are underneath the boat. None of those really fit, so I, I don't know. The problem is that she says, I will scream so loud that it. Yeah. In my mind, the phrase is, I will scream so loud that every boat will be able to hear me or something to that effect. Right. That it kind of locks you into a certain path. Mm-hmm. I just wonder what was the original thinking behind her making that threat, which may be the right word. Yes. <laughs> she gets cut off by the Mariner making an aggressive move towards her and Enola. And it feels like we're going back to the beginning of our time on the Trimoran to when violence was the answer. Especially when he picks up that fishing pole and he's brandishing it. Yeah. But he chooses not to. He throws the fishing pole off the boat. I think that is his aggressive reaction to his pride being hurt by their taunts (laughs) that perhaps he doesn't know how to fish that's his petty reaction yeah i looked at that and i'm like that's not how you fly fish (laughs) that's not how that works so that moment was his temper tantrum Mm -hmm. and he keeps speaking in vagaries he's like you'll never catch anything with this it's useless then he tosses it (laughs) yeah (laughs) and he starts to come at them again And they flinch again, and Helen is shielding Enola from him. But then he veers. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even really come that close to them, and he goes on to angrily solve the problem. Right. Like, he solves it, but angry. It's so interesting to watch this clip, and Helen and Enola appear, to me at least, to be reacting like a mother and child stuck in an abusive marriage relationship where, you know, this father figure comes home, takes out his frustration on the wife. The daughter has to sit there and watch it the whole time. That's something I'm really not qualified to talk about. Yeah, I hadn't really seen it that way until you brought it up. But as soon as you said it, it all clicked into place. This is absolutely an abusive family relationship. Yeah, The way that they recoil and the way that Helen puts her arms around Enola. I probably should have seen it sooner. Yes. Especially, I was very struck by the way that Helen especially 
recoils. She pulls her feet up off the netting and onto the boat, and they both scooch back. When all he does is turn towards them and start walking towards them, and they, the hugest flinch. Whereas just a moment before, they were being a little cocky and being a little mocking of him. Mm-hmm. It was, it was sort of teasing. It was a little more pointed than just teasing. But at the first challenge to that teasing, they, especially Helen, folds completely. And it is very reminiscent of an abused wife. Mm. Her flinch is so obvious and so pronounced. And then uh, he goes about doing something that he doesn't tell anybody what he's doing. And we can hear Helen pleading for forgiveness from him. And it's, it's gross now. It's gross now. I tainted it. Yeah, you did. You did. I mean, I didn't like it anyways. She was doing well, like, standing up to him, but not too much Mm -hmm. to push his buttons. But the moment that something seems to have gone over the edge here, she completely backs down. And I didn't like it before, but now with that connotation of an abused wife and this is learned behavior in reaction to his mistreatment, I'm like, well, yeah, that's how it goes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Mariner has jumped down below deck, and he has a collection of items that he's picking up. There is a pipe, possibly a gun situation that he's loading barbs into. He grabs some line off of the wall, and then there is a battery that he hooks up to the trawling motor, which I distinctly remember in doing our research about this movie that stored power is not a thing, but this scene in particular refutes that. Yeah, he seems to have some sort of car battery type deal that he is pulling a charge from. Mm-hmm. And he does seem to be reserving that for emergency use. If he had plenty of power, as soon as the wind died, he would have turned it on. Exactly. Like, we may not be going as fast as if we were sailing, but we're going somewhere because we're trawling. No, he is not in a rush to get anywhere. So if he's got to sit dead in the water for a couple of days, he's fine with that. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Helen is off screen speaking. She says, look, I'm sorry you were right about the pole. You were right, but we have to eat. I know you can hear me. We can fish for ourselves. Just show us what to do. You must know, even you've got to eat. She brings up a good point that we talked about a little bit last week, too, that, yeah, he does have to eat. Was this his plan all along? He just hadn't done it yet because he was busy doing something else? Or do you think he was full on taunted into this action? Oh, I think he was full-on taunted into this action. This is such a interesting maneuver that he does here. The process of him fishing in this way and then the work of harvesting this fish that he's about to catch has got to be so labor-intensive that if you can avoid doing it, then I can see why you yeah. would. But no, I think him taking this action is a direct answer to their taunting. Okay. I really like this weapon that he is loading and takes with him. It's a bar of some kind, and then two bolts go in either side. Mm-hmm. And we see a little bit how this interacts with the fish. What's its name? The whale fin? Oh, yes. The whale fin. The whale fin. So those bolts go out either side, and I think it helps create a rod that goes through the animal like crossways. So now he has a lot more control over the animal because it's a lot of weight, now dead weight, that he has to be able to control. Yeah. 
So the boat is in trawling mode. He's got this weapon. He pops out from below deck. Helen <laughs> and Nola were looking over the edge of this hole, and his appearance knocks them back a bit as they recoil. Wordlessly, he proceeds to the back of the stern, ties himself off, and then jumps off the back of the boat. What I like about how he jumps off is that he spins in such a way to look at them as he's dropping into the water. Yeah, it's a bit out of spite. You pushed me to do this thing, and I might die. And if I do, it's your fault. Uh-huh. And as Helen and Enola reach the stern, Helen turns back to Enola and is like, what the heck is going on? And Enola has no clue. They've never seen anything like this. Yeah. So what he's doing is he's using himself as bait. But this isn't the only time they get in the water. So was getting in the water previously just as dangerous as the scene we see now? The Mariner must know something about the general behaviors of these creatures. Because you're right, they do go in the water later on, and it doesn't seem to be an issue. Let me jump into the book a bit here. So what has just happened is the Mariner has leapt below decks. For a few moments, she, meaning Helen, thought he was just trying to get away from them, avoiding the problem he considered them to be. But then clattering sounds below deck indicated he was up to something. He emerged with a strange two-headed harpoon gun, larger than the spear gun she'd seen before. How many weapons and hidden treasures did he have stowed down there? For a ship that had been looted by both atollers and smokers, the Trimoran had a wealth of equipment stashed in secret holds by its cunning captain. What was he up to? Eyes burning, face flushed with anger, he was fastening a long coil of rusty wire to his trawling mechanism at the stern. Anola was at her side. What's he doing, Helen? I'm not sure. Now he was securing the other end of the wire around the middle of the harpoon gun. Should I ask him? Enola wondered. No, Helen said. Then, as if it were the most natural thing in the world, the mariner, harpoon gun clutched in both hands, threw himself backward off the stern of the slowly moving boat, making a modest splash. Holding and hanging on to the harpoon gun as if it were a handle tied to the ski rope of the trawling wire, he lay face down on the surface of the foaming water, allowing himself to be dragged along behind the boat. His head would bob up from the water now and then, but mostly he stayed face down in it. Helen and Enola could hear the sounds only when his head was above water, but the mariner was emitting strange dolphin-like squeaks as he skimmed along, pulled behind the boat. Oh, okay. Kicking expertly, he swung back and forth across the trimoran's wake, then suddenly began spinning on the end of the wire. Helen frowned. Like, like a lure. <laughs> I really like the addition of the... Dolphin-like noises. Right, because it's not something you hear when you watch the movie. Right, and I think it wouldn't have been hard to add that to the movie. Wouldn't have taken up more time. It's just plasterous sound effect. Exactly. You don't even have to get Kevin Costner to change anything. Just ADR sound effect. Maybe even only when we see him from beneath, like when we are underwater with him. Mm -hmm. Just put in some high-pitched squeakiness, and it would have made so much more sense. That not only was he a visual lure, but he was an audio lure as well. Mm -hmm. That would also help explain why other times that they go in the water, it's not that big a deal. What he's doing here, being dragged behind the boat, it's something that seems very reminiscent of what you see in shark attacks. People out on surfboards, paddling around, making a lot of splashes, making those deep sea predators look up at the surface and say, oh, that looks like a wounded creature. I'm going to go take a bite and see what's going on. So the splashing and dragging that he's doing here, 
as well as those sounds would help, in theory, penetrate deeper into the water because of how sound works in the water. Yeah, that would make so much sense. And it would have been so simple. You're absolutely right. Because even before analyzing this movie two minutes at a time, I always wondered about why this time it's dangerous and other times it's not. That's a detail that it doesn't take examination to wonder about. And speaking of underwater predators, as we watch the mariner get dragged through the water, an underwater camera POV rushes up at his body and Helen's expression seems to drop from a bemused smile to a look of, I'd say, concern as the mariner starts splashing around and we get this quick push in on Helen's expression, which is so blatantly obvious an attempt to reference Jaws. Or at least that's how I interpret it. Oh, yes, it is. It is absolutely a reference to Jaws. <laughs> I caught that. They didn't quite get the whole tracking zoom thing where you move the camera closer and then you zoom it out at the same time. They just did a push in. And it actually happens so fast that if it is a reference or an homage... It's so fast, it doesn't really land. Yeah. What's really important about this is the huge fish monster that bursts through the surface and completely engulfs the mariner in jaws that open not vertically, like normal mouths do, but horizontally in two gaping maws rimmed with massive teeth. And this is what we call a whale fin. And I know that because of Several different things like the Waterworld comic book, a video on the Atoll YouTube page, and I'm pretty sure it mentions here in the book. I don't know. Let's see. Rupturing the surface of the sea, making the ship's wake seem like a meaningless trickle by comparison, a huge blue creature burst into view, 30 feet long, easily, with the body of a whale and seemingly countless rudder-like fins, it left with the grace of a dolphin, but dolphins don't have impossibly huge jaws ringed with pointy, razor-sharp teeth that opened in a yawning, oblong entry to hell. Oh my goodness. Enola clutched Helen around the waist, and both she and the child gasped, their wide eyes frozen at the sight of the beast, swallowing the mariner in one gulp, snapping the trawling wire. No! the child screamed. Helen, as confused as she was frightened, soothed the girl stroking her hair. The beast had not submerged, rather was languishing on the surface, perhaps savoring its meal for a moment or digesting it. Then a tearing, thunking sound emerged from within the beast, and so did a harpoon right out the side of its grotesque head. Then a second ripping thunk announced the other harpoon's exit from the other side of the now-dying beast's ugly skull. Soon a knife blade was emerging from the fleshy area by the jaws, as the mariner began cutting himself an exit from the catch of the day. Oh my, Helen said. She really hadn't understood about fishing in these waters. <laughs> okay, oh my, I think is kind of lame, but <laughs> she really didn't understand about fishing in these waters. It's that was true. pretty great. That's the understatement of the year. Yep. I love the design of this creature because we are in the mid-90s. Jurassic Park happened a few years ago, and it's very tricky what they're doing because they're trying to comp in a completely CGI creature in amongst water. Like, computer-generated water is tricky enough, and then you introduce this gigantic creature. It's only on screen for a few seconds. 
but the design of it is very impressive. Something completely unlike anything I've ever seen before. And that's really the best part about it, is that it's so different. Right. It might pull small elements from other creatures that we have seen in the past, but the way that it's all put together and presented to us is quite unique. And you said that the YouTube channel, The Atoll, has a video. All about the whale fin. All about the whale fin. Okay. So I'll make sure to share that. Excellent. I definitely want to go watch it because this creature is very interesting. This also raises the question about its existence in this world. We've been operating under the assumption of four or 500 years in the future. Evolution can't work that fast <laughs> without some sort of push. And global warming and the earth becoming covered in water is not that kind of push. So what the heck? Where did this thing come from? It would already have to be in existence in our world today for it to be in existence in their world. Mm -hmm. Maybe not quite in the same form because there is four or five hundred years to allow for some evolution. So it wouldn't have to look exactly the same to us today. But seriously, most of the animals on the planet are exactly the same way that they were Four or five hundred years ago. Especially the large water predators. Right. Because Sharks? they have they have longer lives. Think of what is different. Dogs. Dogs are dramatically different than what they were four or five hundred years ago because a huge, massive amount of very, very specific selective breeding mm -hmm. by humans. And their lifespans are not that long. And they can have multiple puppies in multiple litters throughout their lives. Dogs have evolved quite a lot, but human intervention. But if you think about like wild animals, no, they're exactly the same as they were four or 500 years ago. So where the heck did this creature come from? It's got to be some freak mutation, like a Godzilla situation. Right. And the Mariner clearly knew that this is the type of creature that inhabits these waters. Mm-hmm. That means it can't just be a one-off. This is not a Loch Ness Monster situation. This is a dolphin shark type situation where there are multiples of them, where they populate this part of the ocean. Right. Speaking from someone who lives on land and whose context, whose perspective is all about land. I know I've mentioned this before. How do you define this area when there's no context, <laughs> I'm sure it's possible. It's just a completely different frame of reference for me that I can't connect with. Yeah. There's you... nothing in my head to help me define this area. Yeah. You just got to get really good at navigating by the stars. And then at night, you're like, okay, well, this is what I know from the last time I looked at the night sky. Yeah. That you remember <laughs> the Night Rider. Yeah. As I described in the book... The harpoon gun that the mariner uses punches holes in either side of this fish's head and effectively kills it. Because the next thing we see is the mariner dropping a cut of meat from this beast onto, it looks like just bare coals. I don't yeah. know where he's getting charcoal or anything like this, but hey, he's got his own little stove there. Yeah. How is he cooking this? <laughs> So he's got some sort of metal frame that he absolutely picked out of the water. Mm -hmm. It is encrusted and eroded, bad shape. But yeah, those look like charcoals. 
And not briquettes. It's not like he found a bag of charcoal briquettes and dried them out and is using them. No, these are hunks of rock of some kind. I wonder if they're not charcoal. What if they're some other kind of rock that he harvested that retain heat well? Could be. I don't know. I've never actually gotten a bag of charcoal briquettes wet and then tried to dry it out and use it. Yeah, yeah, neither have I. But that was the first thing that I thought of when I saw this and said, oh, yeah, he probably dove down, found a bag of charcoal briquettes and thought, oh, well, that's easy. I'll just use those. I wonder if this is like a volcanic rock. Mm. Because volcanic rock would do really well heated up. Yeah. So what we can't see is the source of the heat. I mean, we do see some glowingness, but what is the source of this heat? He must have gotten his hands on some sort of fuel source because- Yeah. The lovely thing about plastic is that it does not get eroded by ocean water. So if you dive down to the bottom of the ocean and you find plastic containers full of accelerants, they're probably still in there. I don't know how effective they are. They might have separated or degraded, but they'd probably still cause a flame. Yeah, I'm sure we've noted it before, but the Mariner is just working at such an advantage over everybody else. Mm-hmm. He sure is. And as he flops this piece of meat down, he looks at Helen and Enola and he says, happy now. <laughs> and Helen and Enola are sitting off to the side and they have mouths full of food. So all they can really do is nod. Yes, they are. First of all, let's start with this piece of fish. It looks really good. <laughs> it just looks like it's going to cook up really nicely. Yeah. And also, they don't really care how well it cooks up. As long as it doesn't get them sick, they don't care. Right. I love the exchange here. The Mariner's happy now is not as meanly sarcastic as it could have been. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit more sincere. Just ever so slightly. Yeah. And then their reaction was very much more sincere than could have been, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It could have been a spiteful interaction just now, and it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. I like the direction that we are now going. Yeah, we're able to calm down a bit because the tensions aren't running as high. Yeah. Because not everybody on the boat is starving. Right. It's amazing how things calm down when everybody is fed and watered. Ah, <sighs> yes. Ducking back into the book real quick. After the fish has been killed, we cut to, by late afternoon, Helen was keeping her promise and doing the cooking, as enormous whale fin steaks sizzled on a small grill they'd salvaged from the late drifter's boat. She turned the meat over with bare hands, seasoning the steaks with salt and herbs her host provided. The mariner, returning from cutting from the huge carcass of the whale fin as he had identified the sea beast, as many steaks as they figured would keep for a few days, sat and waited patiently as the fresh, smoky fragrance wafted enticingly up. Okay. So that answers the question of where they got the grill from. Yep, they got it from the drifter. I like that Helen is cooking because she's contributing. And she, she said she would. Yeah, she wants to contribute. The mariner just never gives her an opportunity to do so because it's his boat. And I'll bet you that the only reason that he allowed her to cook the steaks is because it wasn't his grill. Mm. It was the drifter's grill. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate, though, that he provided her with salt and herbs. Because if you're not seasoning your food, what's the point? Right? At least salt. I'm a little surprised about the herbs, because 
you'd have to grow them and then not eat them, but dry them and keep them, mm. you know? But salt, if you're desalinating water, you have salt. Right. So the mariner is futzing with a piece of whale fin meat here, and it looks like what he's doing is cutting the skin off of the meat. And what I suspect he's going to do is try to tan some of that hide for material. Absolutely. It makes sense to me. That's exactly where he got his clothing. And that's what he's going to be doing over the course of the next few minutes as we push through this scene. We're going to put a pin in it for today. Come back next time. The Mariner will get grumpy about the music that the kids are listening to these days. Helen gets to drink her fill. And Enola gets foot envy. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. Waterworld was written by Peter Rader and David Tui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit Patreon.com slash MadMaxMinute. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 46. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.